Hello, I'm Chris Galvin with the International Code of Conduct Association. Thanks for joining us for this first episode in our second podcast series on future security trends, implications for human rights. Today, we're going to be talking about human rights and the role of women in the private security workforce. And I'm delighted to be joined by two of ICOCA's board members, both from the corporate pillar and both of whom are women. Jo Antoine is Director of Risk and Welfare for Garda World, a Canadian private security company. And Michelle Quinn is Senior Vice President of Patriot Group International in the US. So when people think about the private security sector, I suspect the image conjured up for most people is men with guns in military fatigues. But before we unpack whether this is an accurate portrayal and what it's actually like to serve in the private security sector, I'd like to hear both of your stories about how you ended up in a career in the private security sector and, and why did you choose it? So who, who would like to begin? Joe? Okay, well, I'd like to say it was all sort of planned and well thought out, but I must admit I stumbled across it by accident. Um, I'd been working for the Office of the Deputy Prime Minister um, uh, in various um, on various things, but, but also as a junior mediator on discrimination cases and sort of found that all quite interesting, but realised that a career in the civil service wasn't necessarily for me and I was looking for something a bit more fast paced. And actually it was a recruitment agent that put me in touch with, at the time it was Aegis Defence Services, and I worked on the ops support team and I just found it fascinating, the whole the industry, the fact that we were working with different cultures that I hadn't had much exposure to, the whole concept of working with ex-military, which was an institution I hadn't had really any experience of. And the job itself was, it was always very welfare focused. It, it was very much sort of post-incident support and family liaison. And I, I just, I really loved it. So I, I think as well at the early days, it was very clear. There was a lot of work to be done. And I just thought I could, I hope this doesn't sound egotistical, but I, you know, I can really help here. This is something I, I, I would really like to help develop. So yeah, that's how I got into it really. Fantastic, thank you. And turning to you, Michelle, now your story is a little bit different. Can you tell us about that? Uh, yes, absolutely. And thanks, Chris, I also wanna say, I wanna thank you and the International Code of Conduct uh, Association for for hosting this podcast and for letting, uh, allowing uh, Joe and I to speak. It's a fun opportunity. I didn't choose the sector probably as much as, as potentially the sector chose me. I do have, I'm the only daughter of an army colonel. I uh, have a husband who was uh, uh, Marine Corps background and then uh, police background at the FBI level. So I was very familiar with uh, different elements and aspects of security and guns and weapon systems and ranges and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I actually, uh, when I first entered this space, it was because a particular company that I had joined had a, a rather large uh, security contract, five task orders across five nations, all of them rather complex, armed security contracts supporting the uh, US Department of State and was struggling in some ways to perform on some of those contracts. So uh, that company actually brought me in as a businesswoman to do kind of business process re-engineering, look at the flows, uh, ensure that we did a better job of uh, vetting, screening, recruiting, training, and deploying personnel uh, without any gaps, without any, any empty billets across the task orders. And uh, so it was that was kind of how I started. It, it just so happened 
that it was all this security work, but it was from a business lens that I was expected to address and kind of tackle those needs. But then to kind of echo uh, Joe's thoughts, it is an exciting space. It mirrors closely what you'll see on the, on the news each evening. So once you kind of start to work in this area to see that what you've spent your time on during the day in, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in any high threat or austere or fragile region across the globe is also the news that you're going to see in the evening when you get home. And it's a very uh, fulfilling, it's humbling and fulfilling to know you've had an opportunity to impact those spaces and hopefully uh, assist stabilization efforts. Now, I kind of kicked off by characterizing it as a, as a very male-dominated sector. Is that accurate? I mean, how well represented are women in the sector? And what do you see as some of the challenges and opportunities faced by women who, who are wishing to pursue a career? So um, I can't disagree with you, uh, Chris. I'd say at, at this moment in time, women are not heavily represented in the private security sector. And... Uh, probably because of the challenges that uh, they might face. And that is true both in the United States and across the world. I, I see things potentially changing uh, because we've, we're, we're recognizing that women play a unique role and have a unique ability to stabilize the villages, the communities, the, the regions and the nations where they reside. Uh, just some of the natural skills of a woman to kind of de-escalate conflict, conflict, to nurture, to stabilize, to, uh, to also, for that matter, to understand as sometimes as early indicators of violent extremism, as we say, women who know that a son might be headed to trouble or uh, knows what, their, uh, what a family member is engaged in. I think women are well-equipped to engage in security Right and and actually to impact national security across their nations. Currently, uh, they are not tremendously well represented. Uh, I have to say I'm I'm very privileged again and humbled at at my company at Patriot Group International. We have uh, tremendous women, really keen intellects, incredible work ethics, and very capable at what they do. And all of the programs at PGI are actually led by women who do not have a prior military background, but have taken the time to learn all the skill sets, spend some time on ranges, uh, know the personnel, understand the theaters, and then lead on those programs. So I'm, I'm kind of lucky in that sense, because I don't think women are, are heavily represented in private security, but uh, my company, they are. And I think that that's probably uh, uh, potentially ahead for all of us. And that's at the, the senior management level, you're saying? Yes. Yes, absolutely. All the senior vice presidents at Patriot Group, and we're not a large company. Uh, Joe's company, of course, is quite large. Patriot Group is not uh, a huge company at this juncture, at this time, but all of our security programs are led by women. Wow, that's really impressive. So, Joe, let's look at Garda then, because it is a large global company. Um, you're director of risk and welfare. So what are the I mean, what, what do you see in terms of representation, first of all, of women in the company and in the sector? Does, is it, does it differ, actually, from region to region, country to country? And do those challenges and opportunities faced by women, uh, do they, are they the same across the board or do they differ as well, depending on what level they're serving and where they're serving? 
I mean, firstly, I would say it's it's changed dramatically. You know, um, I, I haven't been in the, the industry as long as, as some, but I've been in the industry for a while. And from when I first joined, it was, you know, I, I was one of a few women and we were all in junior positions. And now there is strong representation, female representation in, in management positions, senior man management positions and uh, within Garda World. And I know that that's, that's the case for many other companies as well. I would say really where you see, I think a lack of representation is probably within the operations sector. Uh, and that's for, for a few reasons. One of them is often because the individuals working within operations uh, and deployed positions specifically are ex-military. And if you look at where you're sourcing from, there are fewer women leaving the, the military and there's a gap anyway. So with private security, you're not taking from the pool that exists today. You're taking from 10 years ago because to join in you know, private security, they need to have had X number of years experience and, and, and operational tools, et cetera. So I think maybe that will change in time, but I do think that that's where um, there is a lack of representation. It's sort of within certain sectors. Uh, regionally, I think, you know, we, we I, I don't think it's necessarily regionally. I think it's more, it, it's, it's, it's the functions, it, it's, it's the operations. And I think, you know, a challenge, one of the challenges is, is credibility. And that's a ridiculous thing to say, because why wouldn't one be credible? Uh, and Michelle sort of touched on it then. She spoke about her female colleagues having, uh, you know, range experience and really sort of get, getting that, gaining that credibility by really getting, attaining the knowledge required to perform in an operational role. But, uh, you know, one of the first questions that was asked to me when I was, uh, was a bit younger, have you, have you been out here? Have you been out? Have, have you been on the ground? And without that, on the ground experience, I think you know one lacks authenticity and and credibility. And to get that, you have to be in a position to be able to get out and travel. And there are just just you know many factors that prevent women from being able to do that. It's got different responsibilities. Now, I don't, I haven't had those thus far in my career that, that prevented me going out. And so I've been lucky enough to be able to travel quite a lot and gain experience. In, in our various regions, which has really helped. But I, I know that that's not necessarily always feasible for people. So I think that's sometimes an obstacle. It's not one that can't be overcome for sure, but I think that that sometimes prevents people from seeing the potential that women have within operational roles, in, you know, deployed roles. And the other thing is also clients, you know, you're working with cultures where they're not used to seeing females in certain roles and therefore it's, I don't want to use the word convinced. It's just demonstrating that, that that's the norm and that it's absolutely something that will become sorry, commonplace. We just have to get behind our female workforce and, and be part of that change. But I, I think that there's some resistance sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with certain cultures that it, you could have a female performing that and they, that they would be listened to in the same way. So, I mean, do you get actual pushback from clients saying that, you know, they don't want they don't want women in operational roles and you know under their contract i wouldn't say it's that explicit no um and and actually some clients are fantastic it's almost the other way you see you know you see really progressive sorry actually it sounds ridiculous me saying progressive like asking for women as though you know we're in 1920 but um i think you no know, the, the, a lot of them are asking where our, our female representation is you know asking us to demonstrate it but i think it's more when you're working with a certain culture 
and they are not used to having females work in management positions, in operational management positions. It's having everybody agree that that is absolutely, it will be a workable solution, that we're not going to get pushback. I think it's just, you know, pushing past those sort of rather old school ideas. So let's kind of unpack this a little bit more. Um, Michelle, you've already touched on this in terms of operationally, the the advantages of, of having women in the workforce in private security companies, but why should they employ and promote women, especially when you think of the kind of complex and hostile environments that, that you're operating in? So I'd say first and all, I think that it's smart business, right? The inclusion and the engagement of women is smart business. I also think that uh, it presents an opportunity, right? Especially when we, uh, and from my perspective, we as the United States, want to advance uh, some of our most important values, right? Of democracy, human rights, equality, inclusion, engagement. So those are all words, right? Unless we actually uh, walk the walk with those statements and those beliefs that we say we have. I think that uh, guard forces that include women are often uh, more successful, more effective, more stable, and, and also more profitable. So I've seen, for example, across uh, U.S. Uh, embassy security contracts, right, where um, some of my employers have gotten their guard forces to up to 50% female, right, which is, that's really quite a high number. Half your guard force is female. What's the consequence of that? We have a more stable guard force, less attrition, fewer employees who decide they're going to jump from the U.S. embassy over to a gold or a mining or a banking contract for 50 cents an hour. They are, they are loyal employees. They are dogged employees and determined. Uh, often, not always, but in some instances, they are single mothers, right? So they are juggling an awful lot of things and they are extremely grateful and reward their employers with their, uh, with their loyalty and their commitment because uh, if as a US security company, we can also demonstrate sometimes some of the special flexibility that might be required for a woman who needs to be at guard post, but also has a sick child. Uh, maybe we see the need to stand up a childcare center or be understanding and build some flexibility into our guard schedule. We've done that. Uh, the result, as, as I mentioned, is that we have, we have an extremely loyal guard force, ready for training, anxious for new opportunities and responsibilities, ready to advance, lower levels of attrition, very serious about uh, receipt of advanced training skills, not, not cynical about any of those things. And of course, when you have a stable guard force, right, that understands the mission, understands the culture, understands the leadership, maybe going in and out of a particular embassy, understands the neighborhood, so they bring all of those optics and understanding, you have a better, you have a better guard force. And then not to be cynical, but often, right, if, you're, if you are spending less money on recruiting, on training, on replacement and on attrition, then you also have a more profitable guard force and a more profitable contract. So that's, that is, I don't wanna to be too cynical. That is not the reason to engage women in private security and to build them into guard forces, but it is one benefit for the companies that determine and resolve that they'll make that commitment. Well, that's fascinating. And, and Joe, is that experience, does that kind of transfer to the, to the Garda experience? Is it the same for, for a large global company? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say so. I mean, I think, you know, 
diverse representation at any level, you know, when we're talking about particularly management, you, you don't want a single type of person sitting in management. You, you want creativity, you want innovation. And I think, you know, having equal gender representation, which is sort of the goal, helps achieve that. And when we're talking about management, we're talking about delivery, as, you know, Michelle's just been talking about. There are, you know, many reasons why you do it. And we're working with local communities and they are made up of men and women. And therefore, you know, there are lots of benefits as well of having women on your teams because they're received better often um, by community, local communities. You can communicate better. There are many of those uh, benefits, as, as well as practical ones. Um, we often have female clients. They are looking for female security as well. One, because they feel more comfortable often, but also because they go places where males can't go. So in order to perform the role, you have to be female. So it makes complete sense for us to be investing in recruitment of, of uh, more female operators in particular. Now, you are, as I mentioned, both on the board of ICOCA. ICOCA's mission is to promote responsible private security in complex environments. So can you tell us a bit about some of the human rights issues and risks faced particularly by women where private security providers are operating and how the companies you work for ensure that women's rights are, are protected? Yes. So thank you, Chris. At the end of the day, of course, women's rights are human rights. And it's one of the reasons that I, I know I'll speak for Joe also, that for both Garda and Patriot Group and a number of the uh, many other private security contractors who are members of ICOCA and committed to the International Code of Conduct. For all of us, we recognize that it is critical to demonstrate daily in our ongoing operations, also in our leadership and through our affiliation with ICOCA that we are committed to transparent and ethical and compliant and uh, seamless provision of security services. That uh, these are issues that, that matter critically, especially in a lot of the theaters where we operate, right? And so at the end of the day, we're, when we talk about security, we talk about human rights, and we also talk about, you know, not to be too corny, but we're talking about advancing the human condition. So, you know, every year here in the U.S., we have the World Bank and they produce an annual report on fragile nations, fragile states. And each year, you know, one of their beginning premises is that that nations across the globe cannot be stable, cannot become developing, growing, thriving societies. Right. If they don't have three things, generally speaking, they need stable and honest governments Two, they need infrastructure. Uh, good roads, you know, walk, clean water, things like that for their people. And three, they need security. So we know that to be true. And we know that when women are engaged in, in, in security and provision of security, that we can achieve those outcomes to stabilize fragile nations, to assist nations in growing and thriving, and to advance the, advance the human condition. And Joe? In terms of uh, human rights that are particularly faced by, by women, um, especially in your role, you know, risk and welfare. One question I would have in that role is, do you see more cases, grievance cases coming up related to treatment of women, whether that's, you know, in, in employees of the company itself or the community where you're operating? No, I wouldn't say we do have more. I mean, but, but that's because the majority of, 
the people that work for us that are deployed in the more, I would say are, the, the, the risk exposure is, is within, it's, it's a mainly male workforce. And I understand that obviously human rights, we're talking about our community as well. But sort of bringing it back to what you were saying, yes, okay, one of one of the one of the human rights, you know, the areas that we've 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 talked about extensively with ICOCA is probably the prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse. And and I do think, you know, it's it, it's something that's key. It's it's been a huge focus for the company, not because um, of any particular reason within the company, but just because I think that, you know, there's generally been a huge focus on it recently over the last couple of years. And, and that's been good. It's, it's, it's meant that we've been able to really review in-house what provisions we've got in place, what um, education we've got for our workforce, you know, um, ensuring that, that that prevention of, of sexual exploitation and abuse is weaved into everything that we do. So I would, I would say that's probably a key area. I, I, you know, it, it's one that gets a lot of press as well, you know, and understandably. I think another area probably is also right to an education, which is something that we are aware isn't necessarily the case in a lot of locations that we work in. I think the way that we've tackled it, I mean, from PSEA, well, we've, we've really focused our policies on that so that we ensure that our personnel are educated, so that they uphold uh, our morals and, and that they adhere to our policies and that they also support the female members of the community that they're working with there. On the education piece, you know, you can't change the, you know, the way a con- country conducts itself. You've got to work with communities, not against them. But what we do try and do is we have CSR programs. And so one of our major themes um, is education. And so we invest in education at the moment. We're helping refurb a school in Basra. Um, and also, you know, we work with the Seed Foundation in Kurdistan. They promote uh, social education, economic development, and humanitarian assistance in, in, in Iraqi Kurdistan. Uh, they're actually particularly working at the moment with mental health support for women and girls who they have to support because they've there's sort of high incidence of, of violence and discrimination they've experienced. So I would say there are two, I mean, there are two of many areas, but they're two that sort of sprung to mind immediately. And they're ones that I know the company is spending time, effort, money on um, addressing. Well, you've teed me up for a little plug, and this was not planned beforehand, I can assure everybody, but because, yes, ICOCA has been working on, you know, the PSEA guidance, and actually we're going to be bringing out, working on now, online training modules uh, for private security companies for our members on PSEA, hopefully be launching in, in the end of March. That's one issue. What what else do you think the association should be doing to promote the rights of women uh, amongst its member companies? So I have to say, it's just been, uh, again, it's been a privilege to be able to learn more about the work of ICOCA and to support at a board level, because I do think already you do so much. Uh, This week, as you know, we're working on comments that will go to the United Nations on uh, mercenaries, right? If they're working group on mercenaries, I regularly am either part of or just watching it with just delight, all of the efforts where your thought leadership is engaged, ICOCA has remained kind of a a clarion call and just an unwavering advocate and leader on these issues that Joe had mentioned, Uh, you know, not just issues of professional conduct and transparency and, you know, execution of security contracts, but within that, uh, human trafficking in the supply chain, sex trafficking, child malicious. Uh, ICOCA presents a zero tolerance standard uh, and expectation on all of those issues. 
And so it's one of the great things that the association already does to promote the rights of women among its member companies. I'd say beyond that, uh, loved, and it's, it is both ICOCA's challenge and it's Joe's challenge at, at GARDA and my challenge at Patriot Group is just to continue to include and engage women. And even you know, with an understanding of specific theaters, risks, cultures, to find ways still to in, include women. And I think that at the end of the day, when we do that, that is often one of the most effective ways and successful ways that we can actually stabilize and support and assist other nations, right? Because when you uh, create a female police academy in Bosnia or a female police academy in Haiti, things that, for example, the United States has actually done, when you add to a guard force and add women on that guard force, in addition to the work that they're doing, and the paychecks and the, and the uh, success at their work, they are also mirroring and modeling behaviors for their sons and for their daughters. And so we don't wanna, it goes to what Joe wisely said about education. Of course, there's formal education and training, but this is subtle, but very critical, right? Their sons are watching, their daughters are watching. And in some instances, this new role that a woman takes on might present quite a different change in her culture. She's now a, a policewoman in Bosnia, but her sons are watching, her daughters are watching. That is shaping their views of what women can do and can't be. And at some point, uh, that also, I think, even in the most traditional of cultures that haven't often included women in these roles, I think that at some point that encourages us toward a tipping point, right? Where it is really no longer an odd thing but it's an inclusive and it's a smart thing and more nations are doing it. So uh, ICOCA, I already know, kind of supports this. Our member companies work toward these things. A lot of the efforts I just mentioned have been executed and performed by ICOCA member companies. And to me, it may not be a, a fast answer, but it is a good news story. And it's a, a continual journey. I think we can all vouch for that. But uh, Joe, do you have some final thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely, you know, agree with everything Michelle just said. And and I would say that from, from women's rights to be considered and met at every level, it needs to come from the top. And we all know that culture set by the top of an organisation. And therefore, I would be, you know, I would encourage ICOCA to encourage its members to be transparent about their representation. Part of ESG reporting now has been for, for companies to be transparent about their diversity at senior levels. And perhaps that's what we should be doing, because... It's getting one's house in order first, right? That's, I think, the, the most important thing. And then it all flows down from there. Perhaps that would be <laughs> something we could be encouraging them to do. Well, you are both incredible assets on the ICOCA board. Uh, we need more women on boards. Thanks to you both for this really enlightening conversation and looking forward to working with you both and all the member companies in, in promoting women's rights in the work that we do. For today, thanks so much.